0: Welcome to episode 159 of the GT on 5G. It's the latest in scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week, a very jet-lagged Honshul Sag. Hey, so how was your trip to Malaysia last week? That's why we're recording a little bit late.
1: It was good. It was a long flight, obviously. The longest flight, actually. I, I took the longest flight in the world. Um, and yes, I am jet lagged and I'm also sick with something. So this has been an uphill battle to get this done, but I appreciate you being flexible and our audience yeah. for tolerating lack of timeliness.
0: No, no worries, man. That, that's a long trip, man. It's been many years since I've flown to Malaysia and I just remember making multiple connections and I just felt like it was the longest flight of my life, but it's good to have you back and let's jump into it. My first topic is around VMware, and Explorer occurred last week, and there were a lot of networking and security announcements, but one that caught my eye in particular was their announcement of a private 5G-managed service that they're partnering with a number of different folks on, but Federated Wireless. So Federated Wireless is going to provide the RAN integration, and if you're not familiar with VMware, I mean, they've got quite a presence in telecommunications. They have a converged 4G, 5G core, and they have orchestration capabilities as well. So they're bringing that together with centerated to provide a managed service. And this is something that the company has been piloting for the last year. But at Explore last week, they officially took the, the wraps off of it. And so on the service, it seems fairly compelling. Federated is a great partner. They're very deep and they're very experienced from an integration standpoint. But it makes me wonder, are they late to the party? Because certainly you could argue Cradlepoint, Nokia, you know, Ericsson, Cisco. They've been at the whole private 5G and 4G thing for quite a bit longer. So I know you're just coming back from another part of the world, but what are your thoughts about this? Do you think they can be competitive?
1: Yeah, I think so especially when you consider how they are well-positioned in the software space. They're a big player. They may have to be more aggressive to catch up.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think they're going to have to do a little differentiated as well to demonstrate their capabilities. And certainly, there was a lot that they spoke to with respect to other parts of their portfolio to explore X Plus, so any version of their integrated networking and security. Solution that's really aimed at the enterprise. And, and so the problem theme was definitely separate from that and notable. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Like I always say, competition breeds innovation. And certainly VMware has a lot of depth with respect to telecommunications in general. But let's move to your first topic this week and big news breaking, right? Global Star acquiring Xcall Labs.
1: Yeah, this was an unexpected announcement. XCOM Labs is like a wireless communications research organization. They go out and figure out some wireless problems and then patent them. Some of their stuff was XR related, but they also had a lot of 5G IP. And some of that was in the in the open RAN space. It was really interesting to see where they were going with it. But they were still very much a startup. And it looks like they may have had some challenges raising money. But basically, they... Entered into an exclusive licensing agreement with Global Star. And as a consequence of that license agreement, they also acquired a bunch of XCOM executives, including the CEO, Paul Jacobs, who is now CEO of Global Star, replacing the retiring CEO. So Paul Jacobs is formerly the CEO of Qualcomm and one of the children of the founder of Qualcomm and also part owner of Sacramento Kings. He's a pretty well-known guy across the industry. And he also brought along his CTO as well as a couple other executives. So it really seems like XCOM is going to be significantly smaller company and will maybe exist to satisfy its investors with this licensing deal. I don't really know. Maybe the XR side continues. But its very su- sudden and abrupt and yeah. unexpected because there's like a share swap that I saw where they Global SAR agrees to issue 60 million shares of common stock to Xcom as a licensing fee. Right now, Global Star shares are around a buck 30, but around 60 million dollars for the licensing fee. But I've never seen an example where a company signs a business agreement with another company and then acquired a bunch of its employees, but doesn't actually acquire oh. the company. It's very confusing. But um, I do think that he will be able to help Globalstar in its new era as the provider of Apple's uh, satellite service. I don't think Global is going anywhere and having someone like Paul Jacobs, I think will help them be more aggressive and will be an interesting next phase in the company's future, especially with everybody jockeying for satellite tech.
0: It is interesting and very late-breaking, and I agree with you. It's a very unconventional business arrangement, somewhat similar to what AT&T did when they divested some human resource capital and some licensing and transferred that to Azure and then landed on Azure Cloud Core. As part of their future network deployment and infrastructure scenarios, but it's certainly, it's not nearly as unique as this transaction. So this is pretty late breaking, so it'll be interesting to see how things wind out. I'm sure we'll probably come back to this and weigh in a little bit more on it. But let me move to my second topic this week. And this was a RCR wireless news piece that came out last week around South Korea launching its own Open RAN Alliance. And it gets me thinking, is this good or bad? Because you've got so many different coalitions that are focused on Iran. You've got the Iran Alliance, you know, the Open RAN Policy Coalition. And then you had for a while, the telecom info project trying to harmonize a lot of that activity because you get a lot of coots in the kitchen. Hey, and a lot of this happened in the early days where The cabinets and OPEX benefits seem super impressive, the ability to domesticate your 5G supply chain and not be so reliant on foreign companies, even friendly companies that that are foreign. As I read into this in the article, so it's the Open RAN industry Alliance, ORIA, O-R-I-A. But what's interesting, the initial numbers are who you would think from an operator standpoint in South Korea, SK Telecom, KT, Plus. Samsung, obviously, Hometown Hearing, LG, Nokia, No Wireless, and a couple of research institutions as well. And what they're stating is this is not, they want to focus on domesticating the supply chain around, around their end, but they're also welcoming companies from outside South Korea to help them do this. And, hey, you know what? More power to South Korea. They've certainly been a leader with respect to you. 5G and real tangible use cases. You know, I've talked about that on numerous occasions, but I'm just wondering, I'll pose this question to you. Do you think that in creating another open alliance that this is going to put more cooks in the kitchen and potentially slow innovation and slow deployment within Green, well, within Greenfield, number one, Bradfield has been hit or miss because many of the mobile network operator RAN plans were launched many years ago, 2018, 2019. But what are your thoughts? Is this a good thing or is it going to convolute things?
1: I actually think it's good. Okay. And the reason why I think it's good is because so many of the companies that are already part of many of the other open RAND alliances are part of this as well. The way I see it is maybe this is a, a consolidation of priorities. And maybe we get more of an agreement on what these Korean companies want for their market and how they want Oren to work in their market, which mm-hmm. can then be more more consistent and less fragmented than say if they all were just part of a different alliance. But it would also give them more power as yeah. a unified organization. That's what I think it might be.
0: Yeah. And if you look at where we're at in this baseball game of a 5G deployment, where we're early to mid-game. And it makes me wonder, they're just forming this now. And And there isn't a lot of greenfield activity in that market. It's all brownfield, unless I'm missing something. And Smith's maybe laying the groundwork for 6G. Could be. Yeah, it could be. My opinion is, I'll wait and see. But you make a very good point that there are a lot of the members of this new ORAN coalition are participating in the others that I aforementioned. Yeah, so I think, again, it's early, it's like breaking, the time will tell. But but hey, let's go to your second topic. And I'm going to talk about FWA to wrap up as well. But you want to talk about Verizon's new gateway.
1: Yeah, so Verizon launched a new gateway. It's made by a Taiwanese company called WNC. Basically, this is very similar to what's going on with T-Mobile. They also have their own gateway that they have ODM build. This one adds Wi-Fi 6E tri-band. So it actually adds a new six gigahertz band to the device, which you can use either as backhaul or as an actual network. The reason why six gigahertz is so interesting is because just recently Qualcomm got permission to run 6 gigahertz in AFC, which basically means that they can increase power in the 6 gigahertz band as long as there's no interference. That's been a big challenge for the 6 gigahertz Wi-Fi band. The timing of this is really good and it will enhance the overall Wi-Fi experience for fixed wireless customers. I haven't seen any official statement that this is a Qualcomm-based solution, but I saw Qualcomm promoting it and I don't think they'd be promoting a Mutitech solution. Matt, no price, but... I think it's assumed to be thrown in with the monthly plans. And they also offer setup for a hundred bucks if you don't want to do it yourself. And yeah, it's it's really exciting. And I haven't added this as a topic, but Verizon and T Mobile continue to add fixed wireless subs, outpacing the actual fixed copper businesses. Clearly fixed wireless is a continuing trend. I think last quarter they both Together, almost added an additional million customers. So I think that tees you up pretty well for your topic. But do you have any thoughts?
0: Yeah, yeah. My thoughts are just in general when you look at the transition from Wi-Fi five to Wi-Fi six, so you know now six E, it's long tail, right? And you're still you're still not seeing enterprises making that transition. So I think it's interesting that they're bringing this to a consumer device. Certainly. The performance is tremendously improved. You're going to get better, you know, consistency and better, better range and better performance. But, right. but you did set me up very nicely for my third and final topics. We've talked about 5G text wireless access on numerous podcasts. And I think you and I would agree that it's probably the first killer consumer application of 5G. And I think as we get into standalone, that's really going to blow the doors out with what we're going to see from. Additional consumer applications, but really, where I think the lion's share of the disruption is going to be in the enterprise. But with all of that, so at and finally launched its consumer fixed wireless access service, and it's called AT&T Internet Air. Some people are under the impression that this is AT&T's first foray into FWA. and certainly not. They've had a fixed wireless access product for uh, it's business customers for quite some time. And this is needed for, for at and And I was contacted by several journalists just to get my opinion. And I think the resounding question I was asked was, Hey, do you feel like they're late to the party? And from my perspective, I don't think they are. Number one, they have some differentiation with the solution. They have a really cool, and you'll love this. It's an AR placement tool. You also have something on the actual CPE device itself that indicates the, the connectivity straight. And so that's really interesting. So you have that on the device itself, and then you can use a companion app for placement because, again, this is a self provision service. You're told to put it in a window, but often consumers, they ignore that. They put them on the floor Are they try trying to hide them. And, you know, what I also like about it, not only does it have this great placement tool, the industrial design is very interesting. It's almost like an org or globe. And so it, it looks like a piece of modern art. And so I think it'll blend well into people's homes and that sort of thing. The other thing I like is AT&T's emphasis on security and they certainly have depth and strength there. I would argue that AT&T has the strongest position with security relative to its competitors. And that's just evidenced by its cybersecurity portfolio and its acquisitions over the year, over the years, and its active arm of product that they brand for their devices. And so they're bringing that into the FWA category as well. And, and what that means for consumers is safer online shopping experiences and the, the peace of mind the knowing that your personal information is safeguarding. And then I'll finally conclude with, from a pricing standpoint, uh, they are very competitive. Their pricing was at $55 a month. It is available in limited markets, and that is by design. They're focusing on markets where they don't have strong fiber. And obviously, AT&T is a very fiber-first-oriented company. They've invested millions and millions of dollars in that franchise. And then honestly, when you look at the pricing, when you look at GM's, the kind of the low end of the fiber service, that's pricing almost on top of this FWA service. With fiber, that does involve the truck roll. It does require installation in the Harlow. Some people are not comfortable with that. Some people would just like to have a product that they can self provision, put in a window. And But the trade-off is you don't get the same upload and download speed and that sort of thing. I also like the fact that AT&T is not going to cap this as well. And I believe when you look at competing services, there's some cap of service and that sort of thing. So all in all, I think it's a very competitive solution. I think it's good that AT&T has stepped into the mix. And also you were talking about copper. This is a great way for, for AT&T to pull a lot of customers off of their legacy infrastructure and move them on. To a 5G up to the ice service. And then I think once we get uh, the taste for that, then upload and download speed, the ability to be able to connect all of these devices on your home and TVs and smart cameras and that sort of thing, I think people will see the value of it. So I don't believe, I, but it's a long way thing, I don't believe it relates to the party, but but what do you think on the circus? does not it sound compelling?
1: Yeah, I think it does. What's really interesting is I think, first of all, it looks good. Um, yeah. It does look very, It reminds me of a lot of Google's home stuff. I I think, I don't know if you noticed, there's an extender for it as well. So
0: I didn't mention that they do offer extenders. Yeah.
1: This is very much like a mesh home networking thing, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, I think, how most consumers should experience Wi-Fi from 5G. I do think that all carriers will eventually do away with unlimited versions of this service, whether it's Verizon, T-Mobile, or AT&T. So I think for as long as these services are unlimited, take advantage of it because I think those days are numbered. But yeah, it's interesting. I do think that it makes sense that they wouldn't launch this in places where they have lots of fiber because, yeah. you know, why not launch in places where they have the most growth potential? I mean, exactly. Obviously, we'll see probably this come nationwide eventually. But yeah, I think it's good. I do think they're late. But I also think they're not that late in the sense that they're still, I think, our customers for them to acquire. But having a third competitor in the space does just make the market more competitive for consumers. That said, their world is somewhat limited. They're in LA, they're in Chicago, they're in Vegas. So it's not like they're launching in tiny little cities and they're, they're launching in like Seattle, Tacoma metro area. So it's pretty big metro. So it's like not a tiny launch, but it's also not nationwide. So may not necessarily offer the same kind of competition that it could have a year ago or two, especially if it was nationwide. But I do think they're going to be able to offer pretty good speeds, especially when you consider how much spectrum they have access to now that all their C band is available as yep. well as the 3.45 and then all the low band stuff. So I think they have a pretty good offering in terms of spectrum, uh, and people should get pretty good speeds, 55 bucks a month, expected pricing. I think that's the standard right now. Uh, yep. And they are also offering lower cost service with the affordable connectivity program. I think this is good and it looks pretty polished. So I like more competition and hopefully we'll see what people think of it pretty soon.
0: Yeah. And I'll, once it's available in our markets, we'll do the Pepsi challenge on it. I'll put it right next to the T-Mobile device that I have here in Bastron. But let's go to your third and final topic. And you want to talk about the continued battle for T-Mobile's 800 megahertz 5G spectrum.
1: Yeah, so as we've reported before and gave our thoughts on the 800 megahertz spectrum that T-Mobile has was supposed to go to DISH. DISH had the option to purchase it, but DISH has allowed that to lapse in terms of contractual timing. But they went to court asking for more time and they were able to basically go to court and T-Mobile eventually said, no, we don't want to sell this to you. We don't want to give you more time because Team mobile right. does get paid $72 million for this failed deal because I don't think Dish has the money, to be honest with you. And Dish is a mess right now. This is not really entirely surprising. But what is interesting is a, a third player has entered the chat. And basically, there's a large engineering consulting firm called Burns & McDonnell that wants to get this spectrum and to use it for utilities for IoT applications. I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. But I do think that if they do want this spectrum, they should probably pay what it's worth. But I think the value may have increased since the original agreement with DISH. So we'll see what actually happens there. I don't really know if T-Mobile needs that spectrum. We'll see because they were forced to sell it. But if that sale didn't go through, I don't know. I feel like maybe selling it to a different third party might still make sense. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I wasn't aware of that, that company stepping in and wanting to possibly leverage it for IoT. I could see the applicability. One of five G superpowers is just massive device support, right? And if you've got sensors that are a little bit beefier than what, say, like a LoRaWAN architecture supports for low for low kind of narrow band, it could be quite interesting. And honestly, I believe the Justice Department they're gonna they're gonna hold T-Mobile to that divestiture and and ask them to seek another suitor for it. But T-Mobile may be able to pass on Dish because Dish has been dog paddling on this, but they may still be forced to find a new for it. But yeah, I think and I don't think they need it either, quite honestly, based on where they're at. Lots of blogs coming from the executives when you were over in Asia around network sliding slicing and T-Mobile is really beating the drum on that. And that's really more of a mid band play. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And I agree with you. Boy Dish, that they're not in a good position right now. They're gonna have to find a way to pull themselves out of it. But it's not looking very bueno to me, but hey, I know, man. It's been probably a long podcast for you because you're still jet lagged but it was great to to catch up. It's good to see you. And why don't you take us home?
1: Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific five G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Time Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sad. We hope you have a great week, and please tune in again later this week when we'll have a second episode. And don't forget to rate and subscribe.